Six Figure Developer Podcast, a podcast where we talk about new and exciting technologies, professional development, clean code, career advancement, and more. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. With us today is Lana Lux. Lana is a UX designer and game developer based in Toronto. Currently, she's working on Strain, an apocalyptic pandemic survival game. Welcome, Lana. Hello. Thank you very much. So, uh, Lana, uh, would you give us a little introduction to yourself? Uh, maybe like sort of tell us how you got started in the industry. Yeah, sure. So right now I'm doing solo game development. I work for myself. I make games and I publish them on Steam. I use Unity and C Sharp to make them. I make the assets in Maya 3D stuff. And my background is kind of unrelated. I did start in kind of graphic design which led to learning web development. I started with front end and then ended up learning some back end development. Uh, then I ended up specializing in user experience design. So I didn't do too much development for a while. And that was what I was doing before I decided to go full time. I had started doing game development on the side and I loved it so much that I decided to go full time learning how to do it. I made a game in 2018, I spent 10 months. It's called Don't Notice Me. It's kind of like escape room kind of mechanics, mm -hmm. but with a narrative, kind of a comedic narrative to go with it. Mm -hmm. And that was a huge learning project for me. And it turned out really well. I really enjoyed it. And um, it was a lot of fun to make. Now, as you mentioned, I'm working on a survival game. Well, so what really um, moved you into uh, game development and sort of uh, gave you the I mean, guts to, to take on like a, a game there? Oh, I don't know. I don't know where I got the guts from <laughs> to do that, to be honest. I, uh, I, I guess, you know what, I kind of did it as a trial, right? So mm -hmm. I'd been doing um, user experience uh, in the banking industry for a while, which I actually really enjoyed. That's something that everybody uses. It's, it was kind of solving problems that everybody, everyone experiences trying to make these tedious tasks more streamlined, more um, automated. And I really enjoyed that part of it. But I knew I wanted to do this for a while. So I kind of saved up and, and prepared. And I gave my, my job, you know, three months notice and um, wrapped up the project I was on there. And I was like, okay, you know, I'll do this for a little while. We'll see how it goes. And if it doesn't work out, you know, we can go back to user experience. At least I gave it like my full attention because doing it on the side was just, I was, it was too hard to balance like a full-time job. And learnings, there's so much to learn with game development. So I wanted to be able to do it, like focus on it and really actually give it my attention. So I did as a trial. Um, I started streaming while I was doing it. And I just, I got so into it. Like I haven't even stopped to think about if I want to like go back. Like I just have been learning and learning. And there, I feel like I have barely even scratched the surface. How long were you were you trying to do game development uh, as just a, a side thing or a hobby thing before you dove off the deep end? Uh, a while. So even when I was a kid, I was I learned um, JavaScript when I was about twelve, and 
I thought it was really cool and really fun. I was making things like Mad Libs and sending to my friends and (laughs) just little simple stuff like that. And I kind of touched on different approaches. I did a few flash games. Um, I made some really simple flash games and I, they got really popular. So I put them on a website and I just put on some ads beside them and that was generating income passively. And I thought, Hey, like if I can do like something that took not very long and that can generate revenue, maybe if I, if I make something more involved, it can become like a full-time thing. And that, that encouraged me definitely. Um, and I started doing stuff on the side, kind of figuring out what I wanted to do. And I think it's once I started using Unity and doing things in 3D, which is, was kind of always my dream to do it that way. That's when I was like, okay, like this is, this is like what I want to be doing. This is, there's a lot to learn here. And this is when, this is a, that was a point where I couldn't just do it on the side anymore because there was just too much. It felt like that anyway. <laughs> I mean, I could have, I could have done it on the side, but I wanted to focus. So do you think your graphics design background helped you in that transition to 3D or even in either situation, I guess, the 2D animations and that sort of stuff? That's a good question. Um, I think that there's definitely an art, like I have an artistic side, something that I've always enjoyed drawing. I enjoyed the finding the right balance and colors and that kind of thing when it came to uh, graphic design and user interface design. And I think that that's those types of practices definitely stick in other things that you do. For example, when I was drawing, I would study proportions a lot, whether it was through photos or in real life. I like I would just analyze things more, mm-hmm. and I think that that really helped with the 3D stuff. But it's funny, like I, you'd think that I would take all of those practices with the graphic design and the user experience design and put them into the game. But there's so many different parts that I don't do it the way I used to do it. Like I'm always like, oh, I want to do more. I need to do better. <laughs> I need to do more UX stuff. <laughs> So, yeah, it's funny how it transitions between the two. I've always wanted to learn how to program games. I've always wanted to learn how to create games in software, using software. When I was a kid, I had my parents buy me the big, huge C++ book with a CD-ROM, how to, how to get started in game development, game programming. And it was just so daunting and it was so foreign and there were so many curly braces and it was just too much to get in, involved in that. I never took that plunge. The most I've ever done was a tic-tac-toe program copied out of the back of a magazine into basic and then trying to figure out where I've mistyped something or where they misprinted (laughs) something. More recently, I've gone through a couple of the tutorials on the Unity website and doing the the top-down 2D space shooter and modifying some of the assets a little bit and modifying a little bit of the gameplay. But I'm wondering... Is that a good place to start for anyone interested in game development? Is it coming up with a, a, a novel idea, a unique idea, and trying to implement that? Or just taking an existing game and maybe even a tutorial and learning the mechanics that way? I think starting with the Unity website's a great first step. They know their software well because they made it, and they cover a lot of the stuff that you will want to know when you are making the game your dream game or even something basic. My suggestion to people based on my own experiences, whether or not I did it myself, this is what I would do if I was to do it again, <laughs> would be to go through the Unity website, learn what they are teaching you on there. And as you go through it, you may come up with like a fun idea, like, oh, you know, I have I can do A, B, and C. If I put those three things together, I can make a little hide and seek game. And then 
practice putting those skills that you learn into many projects so you can stay excited about it. Because I find when I'm doing programming tutorials, if you just learn and learn and you're like, okay, now A equals B, it's like, it's not as exciting. So if you can give yourself those little wins and put it into practice, I think that's a really great way to reinforce the learning that you're doing. And then just slowly, very slowly increase the depth of the project that you're making and the scope of the projects that you're doing. One person said like, do a game that takes one hour. Now make a game that takes one day. Then make a game that takes two days. Then make a game that takes one week. Then make a game that takes one month. And like slowly so that you don't um, end up getting like too overwhelmed with things. Yeah, uh, similar to John, I have been trying to make a game since 93, 94 with a, a, a similar C++ game development book. Uh, started just writing like straight C++, accessing the memory for the video card directly at, uh, what is it, B8000 is the hex address for the for the memory. And then um, I got overwhelmed because I realized I've got to create all of the art. I've got to create all of the sound. I've got to write all of the code. The code that's written in the book doesn't work, so I have to fix the code that's written in the book. <laughs> um, and I kind of stopped for a little while, and then you know, you hear about uh, this framework or that library or, or whatever, and I, I pick it up again. So I've, I've tried writing a game in C++. I've tried writing a game in Pygame, in Java, in C Sharp with uh, Unity. Now I'm making a game engine in Blazor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, oh, and I've tried a mono game as well, which is, um, that's what my game engine is going to be based off of. But chances are it won't actually go anywhere like i might finish it but I, then i won't be able to make a game because all of the assets and everything now you have a more or less a, an, an artistic background but is there any part of a game that you have felt unqualified to to complete or or you could do it but you wouldn't be happy with the results and if so what do you do when you when you hit that that wall it's there's so many parts to making a game and all of them are really fun and exciting and it's so hard to not take them all on and i already take on more than i probably should like like you're saying to do the code and the assets and the music and everything is a lot it's really overwhelming but they're all fun to do <laughs> like one thing that i think is something that i have to really force myself not to do is the music because I used to do music as a hobby, and that's something that's really fun to do. And I'm really picky about the music that I want to put in the games. But I also have an appreciation for so much that goes into it. Like, there's, it's as big as some, you know, to do a song can be as big as a game, depending on the song in the game. And so I really have to stop myself and be like, okay, you'll, you need to, you need to just focus on certain parts of this. And, um, and I think that music, you know, music, voice acting would be a big one. Those are things that I I just I I don't think it's worth me doing those myself for the games I make. At least not now. Maybe one day if I have things like streamlined or I have a library of assets I've made or that I like using, then sure, maybe I can start branching out, but for now I think that's something I'm going to just stay away from. So, do you do you contract those out or or how do you uh, like say you had a, a character in your game that needs a voice, but you don't want to do the voice for for whatever uh, reasons. Do you contract that out? And and if so, where would you go for for that? 
yes, I contracted out. Um, it depends. So there's for art. I really like ArtStation. There's some incredible talent on ArtStation. Um, I've hired a concept artist there. I've hired, um, I can't even remember, but it's, there's a lot of, there's like 3d art, there's texturing, there's animating, there's 2d art. It's incredible amounts of talent there. And it's a great place to find people. Often people who are on there are, uh, I think they can even say if they're looking for work or if they just kind of want it as a portfolio. Um, so ArtStation is probably my favorite place to find artists. Um, for There's also, what's the website? Up, Upwork, I think they're called. I'm not sure if, I know they've changed. Yes, they used to be Elance. Now they're Upwork. Um, that's a great place to find talent as well. And I'm lucky that I either know people in person who are my friends who I've hired or people who come across my stream and they say like, hey, are you looking for these kinds of things? Here's what I do. And I'm like, oh, actually, that's that sounds like it would match what I'm looking for perfectly. And then we work something out. Um, for music, I also go to Audio Jungle to find the less important songs I would get from Audio Jungle. And, uh, but you can, you can find exactly what you want on there. There's so much as well. You mentioned your stream. I think that's probably where I came across your work as well, is, is uh, live streaming on Twitch. Being confined to our homes these days and, and working remotely, I find that I, I watch people doing work on Twitch. I, I watch developers. I, I watch game developers. Uh, anything remotely related to software in some form or fashion, uh, even bald bearded builder who is more or less just a comedy show these days, uh, we love him um, and, and give him a lot of grief. But I'm wondering, it seems like you get so much done. You You have a path. You have... Uh, an agenda for the day for the stream. What approach do you take in in this this game? You you've already released. Uh, Don't notice me. You're you're currently live streaming, working on strain. Do you start with the game concept and world creation and and that that user experience that the the player has, and then build out from there? Whether it's physics and boundaries and, and, or, or do you focus on assets or do you take a break from one and jump, jump into whatever is more attractive to you at that, at that time? Yeah, I like, I do like jumping back and forth. It's kind of nice. I, sometimes I just really need to like for a while I was working on characters and that was characters take a lot of work. There's a lot of parts to them and they require a lot of attention to detail and after a while working with them, I, w- I couldn't wait to go back to coding. And sometimes after programming for a while and if I'm stuck, it's nice to just take a break and do something creative. So I love that I'm able to go back and forth between them. What I like to do is to set out sort of rough milestones. Like I would like to have it at a point where I can test, you know, the first part of the game. And then I'd like to have it where I can uh, have the the graphics ready to make a trailer. And then I'd like to have it where... Um, I can release an early access and like break those down into smaller milestones and kind of have a rough idea of what needs to be done to get to that next milestone and keep checking back. And then each day I kind of look or like I I go through the game and think like, okay, we want to go to this milestone. I know that I need to do these things. Uh, Let's I'll write out a list of what I want to do that day and, and tackle those until it's closer and closer to the milestone and then new set of items each time. (laughs) Is that, is this something that the, do you have like a process that you sort of, work to put all this stuff together, roadmap it all ahead of time? Or is that something that you just sort of keep in your own mind uh, and have a general idea of where you're going? 
I would, I need to work on getting more organized and having like a very solid roadmap. It's such a huge undertaking to do these games that uh, it can be, it can be a lot to organize. Like I wish, I, w- I wish I had a project manager for <laughs> the game just for myself, just to manage me. <laughs> That's something that I haven't really, well, I haven't had to do much of for a while. So um, I miss having like a project manager who was like, okay, here's, here's your task. Here's the next thing. Work on these, you know, by this week. So I have to, I really have to develop that skill of managing my own projects. I do kind of have like a rough idea and I do have it written down. Um, but then I also have that UX kind of voice in the back of my head being like, you should test each step and you should make sure that if it doesn't, if you're seeing big like warnings, like people are really confused at this point and they should know what they're supposed to be doing. That's like a big mate that like, I don't want to continue until I'm, people know what they're doing and actually don't notice me um, was meant to be just a small game, but I kept putting in front of my friends and they were like, Oh, like, I want to know more about the story. Like, where's this? Like, what's, why am I doing this? <laughs> or if they'd say, they'd say like, I don't get it. Like there's so many different numbers. I don't know which is the clue to which puzzle. I'm like, Oh, I need to do the number the puzzles like as shapes or as, I don't know, emojis or as like a phone um, pattern or like, you know, I, I just, these things made me have to redo a bunch of stuff. And these are takeaways that I'm slowly learning as I make the games I make. What kind of things I can maybe test before I go into the detail that I do or, or practice, like how the prototypes should look, um, how to fill them in. I try to start with low fidelity and flesh them in as I have better idea of what's fun and playable. But it can be hard to figure that out sometimes. And I'm getting, you know, trying to get better at that. <laughs> That's what I, that was one of the things I was wondering is like, what is there? There's got to be some, uh, I have no idea about game development. Uh, and Unlike these guys who, uh, you know, thought that they they could, uh, you know, develop a game and and set off, I just sort of wrote myself off from the very get go and said, "This is way too challenging of a thing." So uh, there's no way that I could even approach this. But uh, it is something that is so fascinating. And what is interesting to me is like there there must be some sort of like I don't know we, we would call MVP or like very base minimum element of that sort of meets your idea. But what are some of those those things, and how do you work uh, on a, on achieving the like sort of minimum characteristics that you want in that like meet your game's concept, and then flush in the details that actually make it the experience that it is ultimately? Yes, I am familiar with doing MVPs from user experience design, and again, I'm this is something I've I've got to learn is using those skills and those um, kind of principles of design and 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 planning. And applying them to something like a game. I have heard something in the gaming world. Instead of MVP for minimum viable product, it's minimum lovable product. Because in a game, you know, sometimes it's different from, for example, a banking app where you need to do certain things on the thing on your <laughs> phone or whatever, and you need to make it work. Like a game, there has to be an element of fun. So you can't just cut out oh like we'll, we'll just get rid of the crafting system because <laughs> but like that maybe that's the fun of the game do you know what I mean <laughs> that's hard to figure out and I have ended up doing things where I'll test it I'll tr- I started with something simple I had like a running game within a few weeks and I'm like oh you know it needs combat oh you know it really needs crafting and like I ended up kept like adding to it increasing scope and I am actually eventually getting to a place where it's like the vision that I would have like my dream vision and I guess that's good that I'm doing it little by little instead of all at once but there's trade-offs for that too. So it's something I'm learning, I guess. 
how sacred is the initial game concept to you? Like, have you, have you, you know, you wake up in the middle of the night and you're like, I have the best idea for a game ever. And then you start to make it and you end up with a completely different game than you started. <laughs> or do you, do you like hang tight to that original idea? Um, I like to come up with guiding principles. Uh, so for example, one for me is, is this game fun for me to play even though I made it? So if it's not fun for me to play, even though I made it, I think it's going to be hard for me to continue to, um, to tell if other people are going to like it. And it's going to be hard for me to stay interested in making it. So just adding sense, like a sense of randomization or procedural generation and some elements, um, having different endings or different paths of the story, things like that. I think that that can make it interesting for me to continue to play even as I've made it. Uh, so having these principles, I think something another one would be like something that I'm actually proud of having made. These are these are maybe too vague because I end up making this game that's really big because I, I want it to be all these things. I want to be... <laughs> so it's, it's hard to also stick to that. Um, but as for the original vision... I did have like a, a good concept in my head of what I wanted to be, like a vision of what, what the game would be. Um, as for the mechanics, those things I'm fl super flexible on because I do want it to be fun and that's really important. And if what I envision to be fun isn't fun, then I, I need to make changes. I don't want to put a game that's not fun. So 50-50, I'm not sure exactly how, <laughs> how, <laughs> how sacred that initial vision is. You had mentioned a, a couple of different ideas in in game design and game development. How much of that is provided by Unity these days, and, and how much do you have to go in and, and write all of the custom code for physics engines and collision detection and story navigation and, and state management and things like that? Is that something that the game developer needs to know about, needs to care about, needs to be familiar with? Or is that something that the the game platforms these days are, are managing for you? Or is it a, kind of a mix of both? That's a good question. You guys both, two of you guys mentioned that um, that you, you wanted to get into game development, but it was so overwhelming and you had this giant book and there's so many parts to it. I felt like that too, which is why it took me so long to actually go into this. I thought that you know, I would never have the patience to learn all of those things. And I did end up making um, like a point and click adventure game using just JavaScript as practice because I thought, you know, this is kind of a way to go about it. Then when I tried Unity, I thought like all of the hard parts are taken care of. I can just focus on basically giving instructions of putting things together. Unity takes care of the physics engine. So it has physics built in. It has collision detection built in. It renders the graphics, obviously, the 3D stuff. So that's very complicated things. And there's a lot of work to take on if you're going to do that yourself. So to see that a lot of this stuff is taken care of for you is so encouraging. Obviously, if you have knowledge in these things, it helps a lot because you'll pick it up quicker. You'll know how it works. You'll be able to be really efficient with it. And you'll know what to look out for. Like I came into that not really having an understanding of a lot of those things. And sometimes I'm like, oh, that's how that works. Oh, okay. Now, now I get it. Um, but I think if I had a better understanding beforehand, I could approach it better while learning it. And I definitely think it would give you a boost in the speed that you learn it at. What are, what are some of those uh, gotchas that you learned in, that, in, your, in your first, some of the biggest ones that you, you know, encountered? 
Learning the order of operations that Unity does is, is a big one. I mean, like you should learn that early on, hopefully. <laughs> but even just like reminding yourself, like, oh yeah, the you know, for example, at first it's on awake, then it's on start, and the updates works like this, and the fixed update works like that. Like those kind of things are the things that you would hopefully learn at the beginning. But they also make more sense. They made more sense to me, at least, as I learned other parts of how things work. Um, playing with like freezing time and resuming time and just kind of the more you you work with these lighter elements of the game development, the clearer the more complex things become. Even just for example, recently I'm I've been working on characters, as I mentioned, and the hair, like the pieces of hair have a texture on them, but because they have transparency, they're rendered a certain way. And like you can see the 3D shape of the hair behind in a way that's, or like in front of the hair piece that's actually physically in front and like it turned out really weird. So I had to go in and actually learn about a little bit about how Unity does render the materials and the the mesh um, and like the, the order of them. And I had to learn that in order to write something to make it go like this hair piece, then this hair piece. <laughs> so it's not like weird because it was really weird. So those are some things that come to mind. Okay. So that's what I really appreciated about the the 2D space shooter tutorial is that the way it was written and the way you walked through the code and, and the way you developed the scenes and overlaid the graphics and and managed the collisions and when the spaceship leaned to the left and leaned to the right and how how it applied the overlays on that. It was really interesting and allowed me to change the skin of this the spaceship so it looked more like the thing that I wanted, the the thing in my head, the quality of those tutorials. And it seems like the helpfulness of the community out there, because when I ran into problems because I mistyped something or I met, you know, wanted to better understand something, uh, it seemed like there was a lot more help out there in the Unity community to, to help you get past those stumbling blocks. Yeah, I find that the Unity um, forum and answers can be a great place to learn things. And it's been a pretty popular engine for people who are starting off. So not always, but most of the time when I come across a problem, there is somebody who's had the same problem or some sort of solution or suggestion of where to dig into things. And and I got to ask, did strain come first or did the pandemic come first? Did you get the idea <laughs> from, from the global pandemic? Um, the pandemic hit and I, I was actually making a game about somebody with agoraphobia. So somebody who the main character was had a fear of being around people or going outside. And when the pandemic hit, it was like, okay, it's going to be weird if <laughs> people are going to be so used to avoiding each other because of a pandemic <laughs> that it's going to be so weird for people to play a game where they're avoiding people for a different reason. <laughs> so I was like, you know, maybe I can lean into this and convert the game over to something that's people will be understanding in a better way. Um, so I ended up switching it basically right after I heard the news before lockdown started. <laughs> you could you could almost make a more challenging game uh, right now by making a game where like you had to go stand in a in a crowded area like with just people oh, without masks on. That's a fun idea. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> um, what is what is the craziest thing or or most amazing thing to you that you've done in in your games like like. Sh- you know, writing custom shaders or, or physics or, or something, something that you thought was like super challenging, but you, you managed to do it. 
Everything is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take Um, that. (laughs) No, uh, there's a lot of things. But honestly, like every day I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe this is, that wasn't that hard. Like, like I said, years ago, I I avoided it because I thought it was going to be way over my head and every day I'm learning and every day I'm like, that's really cool. Actually, you know what? You know what's a really cool feature of Unity that I didn't realize how powerful it is and how cool it can be is the nav mesh system for enemy AI. I mean, it can be used for a lot of things, but basically it calculates paths so well and you can put up obstacles. And while it's very powerful, there's a lot to it and I'm still trying to wrap my head around all of it. Um, But you can have characters that will move around or items that will move around in the game and go towards a point. And, and you can use this to do really complex things in a really believable way. And using that has been really cool. That's a nice feature. I wrote, I wrote an A-star algorithm one time, and it was slow. I mean, it, it, it worked. I got it to work, but it was extremely slow. And it, the code was super complicated for probably no reason. <laughs> so the fact that they have built in something that will you know, effectively do a star or whatever fancy algorithm they're using. That's, that's really awesome. Yeah. It's been really helpful. Really fun. You mentioned that you've been publishing to steam. What's that path like? Is that an easy thing to accomplish? Is that better, better or worse or just different from trying to get on one of the like Xbox or PlayStation? I'm not even sure what would be involved in in going that route. For me, it's been more complicated than getting into either the, the Apple app store and more complicated than getting into the google app store and then there's also itch is another one for games um which is very very easy in comparison but i do think that steam is a big marketplace a lot of gamers go on steam it's a great place to distribute your game and a great place to market it there are some complexities behind the scenes that definitely took some learning um i think you get more familiar with it the more you use it and it becomes like less they're maybe not as intuitive as I might have hoped for. So getting it to work the first time sometimes can be confusing. But then once you get used to it, it's not a big deal. Um, as for publishing my game, I actually, uh, the game I'm making, because it's about a pandemic and because I tried to put it on Steam like a few weeks after it hit, they did not allow me to publish that. <laughs> <laughs> and they want to see like pretty much the full game before they are willing to publish it. So that's been a bit of a hurdle for me, obviously. Um, but I do kind of understand why they would be cautious. Because this was, I, I put it up like like almost right away because I was like, you know, really excited. So I think they were just trying to be safe. I kind of understand that. So has that impacted you? Because you've mentioned early access and getting feedback and whatnot. Do you use that publishing platform to do that? Or is there other means and other channels that you've found to be better? I would have loved to use that for for um, that purpose. Like one cool thing that you can do is give people keys. First of all, the, the biggest reason I would like to have had it up early is to collect wish lists um, so that anytime somebody's interested, I can direct the traffic to the Steam page. And in, most Steam users, if they're interested, will wish list a game. And that way, when it comes out, they can get an email about it being released. Um, so I haven't been able to collect wish lists which is the biggest issue. But it is a, a minor inconvenience that I would have liked to also been able to send keys to the testers so that they can just download it on their Steam. It's like just like any other regular game, except it's not public. So that's a really cool thing that I would have preferred to do, but it's not required at this point. Maybe once I'm closer to release, I would I can start doing that. So 
Uh, what other resources um, might you point me to? We've we've mentioned some of the, like the Unity uh, documents, pages, uh, the tutorials there. Are, are there any other resources you can think of that that people who are trying to get into gaming that are trying to get started that you could just sort of direct people to? Yeah, there's so many, um, which is really cool. There's obviously a lot of information on YouTube. Lots of courses are like... Um, Playlists, which are kind of act as mini courses. There's lots of very specific topics covered. Um, I also really like Udemy is great for learning. Um, I do find that because I think that there's a little bit of um, regulation on, on the courses that they do there because they are for sale. They tend to be a little bit more, they're a little bit more refined than, than YouTube, like you may get a real, like way better on YouTube, but it's hard to know what you're going to get with YouTube. Whereas <laughs> with Udemy, there's still, you kind of don't know, but they're cheap enough courses that you can get a few of them. You can try them out. You can do a bunch of them. They're usually, you know, 10 to 20 hours or so. Eventually you go through a few different courses and you can pick up different tips and practices from different people in a way that can be cheap and really helpful. What has been helpful in your career that you might share with those just getting started or looking to level up their careers or get into gaming? That's a, that's a broad question. <laughs> it depends what they want to be doing with their career. Um, what I'm doing, I think, is, I don't know if it's typical, but it's definitely different from if you were going to be working for a studio. Usually when you want to work for a studio in gaming, especially the bigger ones, you, they usually want you to specialize. So you're either not even just specialized in development versus asset creation, but even more specialized within those roles. So you might be like an AI developer or you might be, um, I don't even know the different roles because I haven't really looked into it, but, <laughs> or for art on the art side, you might be like a character artist, or you might be a UVer or rigger or animator or concept artist. So usually if you're, that's your goal, it's best to specialize, figure out kind of what you want to be doing and get really good at one thing. But for smaller studios, or if you want to make your own games, you end up learning a lot of different skills, have a more broad skill set. Yeah, then you, I mean, it doesn't hurt to do that as a hobby, learn all of them. And then you can kind of be like, oh, it turns out I really like this one part of it. I never realized. And that's what I'm going to focus in on. So I think learning a bunch of things a little bit is a great way to start off and you can decide what you want to do from there. Um, Where can our listeners go to follow you and keep up with what you're working on? I, I stream pretty much every day on Twitch. It's twitch.tv slash Lana, L-A-N-A underscore Lux, L-U-X. And that's probably the best place to find me. Thanks, Lana. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was really fun to chat with you guys. That was Lana Lux. Lana is a UX designer and game developer based in Toronto. Currently, she's working on Strain, an apocalyptic pandemic survival game. If you like this episode, please like, rate, and review on iTunes. Find show notes, blog posts, and more at sixfiguredev.com. And catch us live each week on Twitch and follow us on Twitter at sixfiguredev. This has been another episode of the Six Figure Developer Podcast, helping others reach their potential. I am John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. <laughs>